Could we just give the youth a round of applause as they head out? Hayden and the team do a fantastic job with those guys. Hope you have a blessed morning, guys. Enjoy yourselves out there. Actually, just looking out at those guys leaving, it's wonderful to see the goodness of God across generations in our church. In the hall next door, we've got a bunch of young people who are receiving the gospel, who are receiving biblical teaching every Sunday. And it's such a privilege as a parent to be able to sit here and be in God's presence, but know that my young ones are being filled by the Holy Spirit and by God's word next door. And then these guys moving out, just as they were moving out, it's got nothing to do with my sermon, but just blessed to see them and to know that God has got his hand on this place and that these young people are going to be our future leaders. So it's a real blessing to be involved with what God's doing here. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to hear from your Holy Spirit. I thank you for a word that has been prepared in advance for us to hear. I pray that you would move in us and that today we can turn our affection and our attention towards you. Amen. Prepare. I love this series. I love the fact that God is positioning us for what is to come in the future. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ben spoke about Matthew 25, and he pulled this parable apart a little bit of the, the ten virgins, virgins and, and what he said was that we need to be in a place where we are humble and hungry to see a move of God. And I love what Hayden did last week as he looked at a familiar parable in, in, in the book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 11 to 32, as he spoke about the lost son. And it was the hunger of the lost son that drove him back into the arms of of the Father. Prepare. Prepare. Hope Point, I wonder if we can appreciate the mandate that has been laid upon us as a church, as a people. I wonder if we can recognize the responsibility we have not only to prepare for ourselves and our church family, but for the community of Kabulcha around us. I love that Ben, just before, as he was speaking about the giving, referred to a prophecy that we received, and you might have heard it before, and you're going to hear it many more times, because I believe this is God's word for our community here at Hope Point, and it was delivered by Pastor Corey Turner at an ACC conference. He was speaking to Pastor, or prophesying over our church when Pastor Ben was there, and this is what he said. It was both challenging and encouraging, but he said... Let me just read it to get it correct here. Corey prophesied about revival going from Hope Point and affecting our nation. He went on to say that the level you are prepared will be the level of revival that you will be able to sustain. That deserves a clap, don't you think? It's amazing that God would choose us as a people. This is so challenging because we have been given this mandate to carry the gospel into our community, but not just Kabulcha, this nation, the nation of Australia. And this prophecy tells us that we will be able to do that. In fact, revival is coming. The prophecy relates to how long we can sustain the revival. And that comes down to our preparedness. And so I'm, I'm so challenged 
because of this weight of the responsibility that God has placed on us. But I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged because of the one who has sent us. And I'm encouraged because God's work, done God's way, will never lack God's supply. Hudson Taylor said that, a famous Chinese missionary who saw tremendous revival in China. If you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Actually, Mark. Mark chapter 1. You know, I love Mark's account of the gospel because it's so raw. In the book of Mark, we sort of see mainly this week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and then his resurrection. Scholars suggest that Mark's account is the earliest gospel written around 70 AD. And let's read here from verse 1. John the Baptist prepare the way as the title. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in prophet. Everyone still all right? Very good. Just to make sure you're all awake. Where were we? I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Prepare the way of the Lord. You know, here the author starts the book by identifying two key themes which run throughout the book of Mark and the other Gospels. And the first is this, Jesus as the Messiah. But then also Jesus as the Son of God. But then he also goes back into the Scripture and then quotes this prophet Isaiah. And we're going to take a look at that now. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 2 to 3. If you can turn to that passage for me as well, please. Now, as we turn to this passage, I just want to give you a little bit of context. See, in verse, or in chapter uh, 39 of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies over the nation of Judah, and, and he says that in the coming days, Babylon will overthrow you and take you into captivity. And this is bitter news for this Judean nation because not that long ago in Isaiah we see that they were actually being waylaid by the Assyrians. And so they'd just come out of this time of turmoil and God had just rescued him from the Assyrians. And then in chapter 39 we see this prophecy about Babylon coming, trouble coming. You're going to be in trouble again even though they'd just been saved. So this is bitter news. But then we turn to chapter 40 and we see a shift in perspective. And so here we start in verse 1 of chapter 40 of Isaiah, and the title is Comfort for God's People. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim her that her hard service has been completed, that her sins have been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then here we go from back to Mark chapter 1, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert highway for our God. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. 
You know, I find it fascinating that the theme between Mark chapter 1 and Isaiah 40 here is this concept of the wilderness and being prepared in a wilderness season. Hope Point, I want to suggest that we, if we want to be people who are prepared for the work that God has in store for us, we cannot wait until we are done with our wilderness season. We cannot wait until our finances and our family and our life situations are all nicely sorted up and neat. We cannot wait until we've ticked off all the boxes on our to-do list and that to-do list is completely finished before we can start preparing the way of the Lord. Yes, I'm looking at all those A-type personality people out there. You know, I recently listened to a psychologist and author, Dr. Peter Janetsky, in a conference where he spoke about this and how we as a Western society struggle with our to-do list. And just a quick show of hands, anyone here use to-do lists? A couple of us, okay. Some of us love it more than others. But in any case, this is what he had to say. If you're someone who struggles with to-do lists, if you use to-do lists to get your checklists and things in order to try and sort your life, he said this, he just said, stop it. Just stop it. That's his advice. That's all he had to say about the matter. Because death by to-do lists is an ever-increasing problem within our Western society. You know, heart disease and mental health is a significant problem that is gripping our nation. And instead... He suggests what we need to do is manage our priorities. He suggests instead what we need to do is make the most important things the most important things. In any case, that's a side note. What I'm talking about this morning is being prepared in the wilderness the preparation in the wilderness. You know, in the book of Exodus, chapter 15, verse 22, we read that Moses led the Israelites from the Red Sea and marched them into the wilderness. Interesting. You know, it was in the wilderness where the Israelites learned that they can trust God for their provision when they were hungry and thirsty. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, we see Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist. And what happens? He gets led out by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And you know, the fascinating thing is here he is tempted by the devil. And yet, when he returns, listen to this, Luke chapter 4, 14, after he had just been tempted by the devil, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And the news of him spread throughout the countryside. Isn't that amazing? Out of the other side of the wilderness. In the book of Galatians, you might not have known this about Paul, but before he started his ministry, he spent three years in the desert, in the wilderness of Arabia. Or the Arabian wilderness. Before he kicked off his ministry. And we know the impact that he had on that Asian region. You know, although all of these examples are relating to a physical, geographical wilderness, there's such a close link between that geographic location and the metaphor of the wilderness in our life, which is a metaphor for trials, for trouble, for training, for difficult situations, for being uncomfortable. 
And in my years as a physical education teacher, I've been really blessed to take a number of students on some wonderful camps where we leave behind the technology and we step out into the bush, we step into the beautiful wilderness of southeast Queensland and they just go and we spend time out there. And you know, one of these camps are called a, a wilderness trek and we take a bunch of year 12 students with the only things they allow with them are what they can carry on their back. And I still remember the first time I went on one of these wilderness treks. It was during the footy season. And for me, a massive priority was making sure I had enough food and enough protein. And that was probably the most important thing. So I stacked my bag full of this protein and full of food to make sure that I wasn't going to lose any of those pre-season gains. I was going to be fine. But one thing I didn't consider was that I had to lug that 30-kilo backpack with me across 40 kilometres of wilderness, up and down hillsides, rock-hopping across ravines. And I could tell you, it was probably 10 minutes after we hopped off the bus, we were hiking up hill, uh, hill 675, and I realised, man, I'm in some serious strife. I'm about to cry in front of, uh, in front of all of these kids. This is not going to look good. Um, but that's what happens, Right? That's what happens when we're unprepared, caught in the wilderness. Anyone who's ever been in a wilderness season will tell you that there's nothing comfortable about the wilderness. There are big, scary bugs and feral animals in the wilderness. If you're walking along the wilderness, you're going to get scratches, you're going to get bruises, you're going to get bumps. And it reminds me of another story, actually, when, when we were taking a bunch of kids on one of these wilderness treks, we were hiking along and I was with a group of students and then one of the students turned around to me, looked at me and very calmly said, excuse me, sir, I have a stick stuck in my eye. And it wasn't just a stick. I looked at that kid, I'm like, man, that's not a stick, that's a branch. I didn't say that, but that's what I was feeling on the inside. So I asked him to calmly sit down, and I turned around to my backpack to try and get the first aid kit out. And when I turned back, this kid had yanked out the stick out of the eye. Praise God, the, the stick had actually just gone underneath the eyeball and into the eye socket. And so when they pulled it out, the eyeball didn't come with it. It's not a great story, it's fine. Luckily, this kid had no damage um, to that eye socket. Wilderness is a scary place. And Mark Sayers, a, a Melbourne pastor and author, wrote a book titled A Non-Anxious Presence. Really good read if you want to get your hands on it. In any case, this book was written during a season of COVID lockdowns and isolation. And so what he goes on to say in this book as, as Christians, and in particular he's talking to Christian leaders a little bit, he's saying our lives and the way that we lead need to be in such a way that it is a non-anxious attitude and demeanor. And I want to read a little bit from that booklet for you. He goes on to make this observation. We have been taught by the great strongholds of our day with a form with a structure of secularism, or cultural Christianity, or hybrid of both, that pressure is a bad thing. That it is possible to live life and walk through the raindrops without getting wet. So as the cultural pressures increase against the church in our grey zone moment, and we find ourselves in the wilderness, those who turn to God, 
who choose not to run away from the wilderness, but who seek his presence in the wilderness, will be transformed with spiritual authority and power. Hope point, it's the preparation in the wilderness that comes between the promise and the prosperity. It's the preparation in the wilderness which comes between the prophecy and walking in the things that God has prepared for us in advance. It's the preparation in the wilderness that will prepare us to go out into the city and streets of our city, to the courthouse, to the train station, to CJ's pie shop. It's a great pie shop. Go down there if you haven't yet. It's God's preparation in the wilderness which will allow us to move in those places with power, which will allow us to be the husbands and wives which our families need us to be to be the church that Kabulcha is yearning for. You know, there's another man in the Bible who experienced this. This was his lived experience, and his name was David. I think we've got a lot to learn from the life of David. And this morning, I'd like us to, to turn to Psalm 34. It's actually a beautiful psalm, and both me and Mel last week, I think I shared it last week, but both of us were drawn to the psalm on the same day without talking to each other, and I believe that maybe this is something that God would have say to us. But in any case, this, this psalm is actually an acrostic, is that the right word, acrostic poem? Um, what it means is that it uses the Hebrew letters of the alphabet in sequence to try and communicate a message. So those English teachers out there, or those people with language, I think that's what it's called. But in any case, the reason for that is is to make it memorable. This was a significant psalm in David's life, and he wanted people to remember it. And so he used this poetic genre to try and communicate a really important truth. And so here we go from verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. Extol is exalt, glorify, magnify the Lord at all times. His praises will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glory the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I wonder if you can sense the passion in his words here. It's almost like he's standing out, shouting out, exalt the Lord with me. Come on, people. Let's lift God's name up. He's got a message and he's excited about it and he's going to declare it because God is good. But the context of this passage is what makes it so interesting. See, David is writing this psalm in the middle, in the heart of his wilderness. In the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see that David was anointed to be king while he was still a young man. He was probably around the age of 15. And now consider that between that time of the promise to his actual appointment of the station of king was a small gap of 15 years. And he is writing this poem in the gap. 
Much of this time David has spent fleeing from his life because his would-be mentor, the king of Israel, Saul, is chasing after David. And he's meant to be his mentor, the one who's meant to teach him how to step into the role that's before him, is the one who's trying to get his head, trying to hunt him down like a criminal. And so when David writes this, he's in a place called Adullam. Adullam, sorry. Adullam, which is a cave. And in the Hebrew word, it's translated to hiding place. And he's in this cave writing these words. I wonder how many of us find ourselves in the wilderness and might have a slightly different response to what David had. You know, recently I was so challenged by a conversation I had with Pastor Ben. By the way, if anyone is thinking it's a good idea to move down to the pastor, uh, next to the pastor's house, can I recommend probably don't. You always have to be on your best behaviour. And um, I, uh, Pastor Ben could probably attest to this. I'm, oftentimes I stuff up that part. But in any case, we were having this conversation and, and we were talking about hope and life and faith. And, and I'm not sure how we really got there. But I, I told Pastor Ben that... Um, Sometimes when I view life, it's kind of like a glass half empty type of situation. That's how I viewed life. And he sort of looked at me graciously. He thought, okay. You know, and, and, and uh, my wife Mel over there, she, she's smiling and, and nodding. You don't have to say amen, babe. It's okay. Because she knows when I'm sick, it's like I'm going to die. Or if there's a leak in the roof, the whole house is about to collapse. Or if the finances, if the bank account looks a little bit... Um, you know, short of money, we're all going to starve. It's that type of situation sometimes, unfortunately. But as I was sharing this with Ben, you know, graciously, and there's no hint of arrogance in that, he said, really? The closer I get to Jesus, the more positive I become. And, you know, it was kind of like the Holy Spirit just went, you know, it's like one of those gut punches in a nice way. But he doesn't condemn us, he convicts us. And it was a real conviction moment for me. And I thought, you know what? It's true. The more I realize the character, the nature, the heart of God, the more I realize my position in heavenly places because what Jesus has done for me, the more positive my outlook on life becomes. And you know, the, the, the thing is that David knew God, right? But he also knew God knew him. And it was out of this place, it was out of this revelation that he was able to say, even in the most trying of circumstances, I will praise God in every and any circumstance. I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Perspective in the wilderness changes everything. Perspective in the wilderness changes everything. You know, although David was quite aware of his plight, I mean, I could just imagine him sitting there in a dark and dingy cave and, and, and the, the water is probably dripping from the cave on the parchment as he's writing this. It's, it's inescapable, the situation that he finds himself in. Yet his refuge comes from knowing. Just maybe. That it's in the wilderness that we prepare the way of the Lord. You know the irony about this whole situation? 
the very king who was chasing David into the wilderness, the very king who was after David to try and kill and destroy him, was struggling in his plight with the Philistines, Israelites' arch enemies. In the book of Samuel, chapter 14, verse 52, we informed all the days of Saul's life there was a bitter war with the Philistines. He could never, ever get rid of them. Yet it was David... It was David that God used to conquer this enemy. And in Samuel 2, verse 5 to 19, we see David in quest of the Lord. Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? This is what God says. The Lord answered him, go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. You know, although I can't be sure, I'm pretty confident It was the 16 months where David spent as a mercenary in the Philistine army where he was given the strategy, where he was being prepared for the victory that God had in store for him. You know, it was in those 16 months where he slept next to the enemy, where he found out about the roots, where he might have found out about who the generals are, where he found their sleeping and their eating patterns, where God was preparing him to do something miraculous. You know, it's in our wilderness. It's in the time of our wilderness that God is preparing us to walk this faith journey that is required to step into his promises. It's in the wilderness, in the enemy's camp. It's when the enemy is doing stuff in our lives, trying to affect us with sickness, mental health. All these stresses and pressures that we face that we learn to turn our affection and attention towards God. Where we learn to pray prayers that are powerful and effective in the place of the wilderness. So that we can step into the all God has for us. I wonder how many of us are caught up in a wilderness moment right now. I wonder how many of us feel like the promises and the prophecies that have been spoken over our lives remain unfulfilled. Take encouragement from the life of David. And as I conclude, I want to take maybe a couple more moments to talk through two strategies or two key thoughts, I think, that will help us in this journey of being prepared in the wilderness. And the first and foremost one is this. We don't need to allow our emotions and our thoughts to dictate our actions and our faith. I'll say this again. We don't need to allow our emotions to dictate how we respond to the wilderness situation that we find ourselves in. See, the truth about emotions are they're fickle and fleeting. The truth of the matter is that they're a bunch of chemicals that run around in my body, and at certain times, they can cause havoc. Just ask any teenager going through puberty. Thank goodness all those guys are away at the moment. They might not be able to disagree. But our hormones, the weather, what we eat has a significant influence on our emotions as well. You know, some days I'm madly in love with my wife and and in other days... I probably won't finish that sentence, actually. (laughs) Engage the filter. Um, But 
But, but praise God, right, that we have been given this, this frontal cortex. And just bear with me a second here. I love science. I love the brain and how it works. And oftentimes with the kids, I talk, about, talk to them about it. But our brain has got this limbic system or this emotional brain, hypothalamus, which sits in the middle of our brain. And then around the outside, it's covered by this frontal lobe, which is the frontal cortex. Um, gentlemen, it doesn't quite develop for us till we are in our 30s or, early, or late 20s at least. So that's some ammunition, ladies, when we do something dumb, just throw that out there to us. Okay, yours develops a lot earlier than ours. In any case, um, this frontal cortex is responsible for decision-making. And so what literally can happen in our brain is that we have the ability to actually override that emotional impulse, that emotional response that we have. And, and then a couple of weeks ago, I was lying on the couch at home, just feeling really sick and sorry for myself on a Sunday morning. I was pretty crook, but I, I was about to die. Um, I, I wasn't really about to die, by the way. Um, anyway, I was just lying there feeling really sick and sorry for myself. And I was watching the TV and, and Pastor Stephen Furyk from Elevation Church was speaking a little bit around this topic and this concept. And he had some super advice that I want to share with you. He said, take every thought captive. So if you have something that comes in your mind, in your head, take maybe seven seconds to recognize it. Maybe take seven seconds just to go, yeah, this is how I feel. If you need to write it down, then do so. But after that, put it to bed. Choose to redirect your attention. Choose to focus elsewhere. You know, I love this because I'm a practical guy. I teach manual arts or industrial technology and physical education. So for me, the simpler, the better. And so, so maybe next time when I'm super frustrated, when I reach for the drawer or the cupboard and there are no socks in there, take maybe seven seconds to, to feel or think about, okay, well, I'm feeling very frustrated at this moment. And then after that seven seconds, maybe go downstairs to the laundry, get out the socks without causing a big fuss like a big boy and move on with life, okay? Well, how about, how about next time I walk into church and, and, and Pastor Ben's a bit busy and he doesn't greet me, right? Feel that frustration, feel that, oh... He's rejecting me, whatever, for seven, maybe just five seconds. That one probably doesn't need seven seconds, just five seconds, right? Get over myself and go and introduce myself to someone new. You know what? Maybe next week that person will greet me with a smile. You know, and I'm not suggesting here for a second that we have our head in the sand and pretend that life's fine and there's no troubles. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I don't think that's helpful or biblical. You know, in the life of David, he reflected on his misery. He had some really deep and dark moments. But he made a choice. Your praise will always be on my lips. Your praise will always be on my lips. It's a choice available to us, even in the wilderness. You know, God is no man's dead, I hope, point. In the correct perspective, the greatest wilderness can become our greatest preparation. Instead of focusing on all the problems and all the stuff that's going wrong and all these emotions and thoughts that pop into our head, how about we turn our affection and attention towards the promise, towards God, towards the solution, and see if our emotions will follow? Because I can guarantee you they will. 
Even from a scientific perspective, they will. You know, Abraham, at the age of 100, he had the promise of Isaac, yet he was still waiting. At 100 years old. But yet he did not get discouraged. In fact, if I read Abraham, he was getting more determined. He was pressing more into God. And you know what? He is one of the forefathers of faith. And in Romans 4, we read, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know, I would love to have it said about me that I believe the promises of God and it was credited to me as righteousness. I would love to hear it say that in my season of wilderness, in my season of delay, in the waiting that God would come through, I remembered and believed God's promise and held firm to his promise despite the circumstances that I found myself in. What is it going to take for us to prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, it is going to take trust. It's going to take faith. Even when our circumstances don't align with the reality of God's word, I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Rach, I might ask you just to chuck that pad on, actually, if you're still here. Are you here? No, she's not. Okay, never mind. That's fine. And I'll finish on this thought. It's in that posture of surrender. It's in that place where we choose to declare God's goodness even in the season of the wilderness that we find ourselves in that His Holy Spirit starts doing something. It's in that season where the miraculous starts flowing in our lives. It's in that season where God starts preparing us for the good things that he has planned, for the promises that he has spoken over our lives. And I realise this morning there might be some of us who say, that promise was so long ago, you don't understand. David waited 15 years, I've been waiting 25 years for my promise to come to pass. For some of us you might be like, I don't, you don't understand, time is running out. I've been praying for this family member and they are sick, but they still don't know you. God, God, what are you doing? For some of us, we are finding ourselves in that wilderness moment and the promise seems so far from the reality of God doing something in that situation. If you find yourself in a season like that, my advice would be this. Think back, remember, reflect. Reflect on a time where God's promise came, where God was true to his word, where he was faithful and his goodness was made known to you. Think back to that time where God answered that prayer. Think back to that time where God helped you through that situation. Think back to that time where God did what he said he would do. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I can't think back. I don't have a memory like that. I've never had a situation where God answered a prayer that I've prayed. If that's you, I want to take you back. I want to take you way back. I want to take you back to a place where the king of the universe, the son of God, hung his broken body 
on a tree that he fashioned with his own hands. Think about that. I want to take you back to a point where the king of glory, the one who forgives sins, the one who heals the broken bodies, was nailed through the hands and feet by the very nails shaped by men's hands. He formed from death. Reflect on that. I want to take you back to a place where the king of glory would lay down his life where the goodness of God is so good that he would suffer immeasurably to come good on his promise that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Think about that. Reflect on that. That is the God who speaks and delivers on his promises. Hope point, if we're going to be a people that are going to be prepared, if we're going to be a people that are going to be prepared in the wilderness, we need to be a people who are willing to go back to reflect and to be transformed by the goodness of God. I might get you down to play that song. And so I'm going to pray. Because I believe this word was, was for someone here this morning. I believe that God wants to do two things. I believe firstly, for those of us who have not had a promise or don't feel like they've got a promise that they can cling to, I believe that God wants to give you one this morning. And so I want to pray for you. But I also believe that there are people in this room this morning who have had the promise but are called, caught up in the gap. Then those 15 years, those seven years, those seven days, those seven months, whatever the time frame is, they're caught up and it's hard to see the promise delivered while you're caught up in it. And so we might just crank it down, crank it up. This song sings about the promise being that God has delivered, that God has been faithful. And so we might just listen. I might, if you know the words, feel free to sing along. And I'll go from there. The next part of this, sorry about that. The next part of this song is a declaration. And so what I wanted you to do as part of a response, sorry, young fellow, a bit noisy out here. What I want you to do is a response. If this is your heart, if you want to see God come through on his promises that he has for you, if you want to see God give you the faith to believe that he is good in your wilderness, I want you to stand. And the words are simple. The words is, I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered my cry. And if this morning you want to see God answer the cry of your heart, you've got to seek him. You've got to ride out in the cave. God, I'm in the cave, but I want to seek you and you're going to hear me, and you will deliver me because you're a good God. And so that promise is there for you to claim this morning if you want. So I would encourage you, if that's you, stand up. Sing these, these words. I sought the Lord, and He heard, and He answered. I sought the Lord, and He heard, and He answered. Thank you, God.